Hi, I'm Casey Hobbs, host of Nurse Talk Radio, one of the thousands of nurses on duty today. Here's what we're talking about this week. The Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation is the leading global organization funding type 1 diabetes research. Millions of people around the world live with type 1 diabetes, a life-threatening autoimmune disease that strikes both children and adults. There's no way to prevent it, and at present, no cure. JDRF works every day to change this by amassing grassroots support, deep scientific knowledge, and strong industry and academic partnerships to fund research. JDRF funds research that transforms the lives of people with type 1 diabetes. Current research includes artificial pancreas, glucose control and prevention, restoration and complications. Today we'll talk about a breakthrough therapy called encapsulation. We have the good fortune of having Dr. Julia Greenstein with us to explain this therapy. Dr. Greenstein serves JDRF as the vice president of the Discovery Research, which includes early stage programs across the JDRF portfolio. Dr. Greenstein received her doctorate in microbiology from the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry and was an assistant professor at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute of Harvard Medical School. Dr. Greenstein, welcome to Nurse Talk, and thanks so much for being here. Thank you. So let's get right to it, Dr. Greenstein. What is encapsulation? So encapsulation is really a methodology and a material where you can coat cells either individually or in a device to protect the cells from the immune system of a person who you want to transplant those cells into. So that's an amazing technology, it sounds like. It's so incredible. you can, any type of cell that you wanted to, I'm guessing, not degrade or not be uh, attacked by the immune system, uh, how does it work and who's going to benefit from this? Well, I mean, it could benefit a lot of approaches in medicine. Uh, the JDRF interest is to replace the insulin-secreting beta cells for a person who has uh, type 1 diabetes. I find this so incredible. So the cells in the encapsulation continue to divide and grow. Is that right? Well, the kind of cells that we're interested in don't divide. They're called okay. terminally differentiated mm -hmm. cells. Um, but theoretically, if you put a dividing cell in, they could divide. You want to keep them healthy and safe, um, so you want them to get nutrients through the pores in the capsule and um, do whatever function they do. And in our case, again, it's about secreting insulin. So in looking at the literature then, when they started working with the encapsulation cells, it lasted about a month, and now they're up to about a year. How is that? I didn't think cells lasted a year. Well, cells that don't have to divide, I mean, some, some of the cells in your body last from the time that you're born till the time that you die. So if they have the right nutrients, um, they can last a very long time. Um, the aim... When you transplant islets um, with drugs, they can last five, seven, or even ten years post-transplant. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Uh, so how is this different from an artificial pancreas? I, say, I mean, that, I guess that's fairly obvious, but are like an islet cell transplant or any other sort of transplant? The islet cell transplant can effectively reverse diabetes in a person with type 1 diabetes but it's at the cost of having to take chronic immunosuppressive drugs, just like if you had a heart or a kidney mm, transplant. Okay. And so in a, that makes sense if a person with diabetes has life-threatening hypoglycemia unawareness, 
But it doesn't make sense if you're a healthy type 1 person with type 1 diabetes. So what we've been trying to do is come up with ways to transplant islet cells or other cells where you wouldn't have to use immunosuppression. So that's the big difference, is being able to transplant a cell without having to put a person on the chronic immunosuppressive drug. That's amazing to me. So I'd like you to walk us through the process, but I want to ask in that, how many of these encapsulation things would you, and I would assume you inject these into the body? So people are doing different things. There's one type of encapsulation called micro-encapsulation, and that's basically putting a bubble um, of material around an eyelet or a group of eyelets. Um, and in that case, um, you would want to give a person the same quantity of islets that they have in their body, which is somewhere around two or three million islets. And in that case, the vision is that, at least in the animal models right now, they put them refloating into the peritoneum. So they inject them into the peritoneum? Yes. Okay. So how many encapsulations will hold the two to three million? Well, it might be, you know, depending on the density you want to put in the, in the bubble, it may be something like that. It's basically less than a teaspoon of volume. So, mm-hmm. you know, it might sound like a lot, but it's only a tiny little <laughs> bit. Your pancreas is mostly exocrine pancreas, and the amount of beta cells in, any, in a normal person's pancreas is only about one or two percent of the cells in your pancreas. I feel like I'm kind of digressing, but what is this encapsulation material made of? Is this a is this a synthetic man-made material? The publication that came out from the Bob Langer collaboration um, in the last two weeks, that material is made out of um, a seaweed-derived material called alginate. So it comes from a brown seaweed, and then it's chemically modified to make it more biocompatible. And those are used for this microencapsulation approach. Some of the other um, approaches are what's called a macroencapsulation device, and that's a bigger device where you basically would put the entire volume of cells that you wanted to transplant into one device that looks more like a capsule. But you would still inject that as well? Now that you actually, what people are thinking about is placing them under the subcutaneous layer, under your skin. Uh-huh. So it would mean like a little incision and making a pocket and putting the capsule in the pocket. Like a pacemaker or Yeah, something. this technology yeah. is amazing. I've been walking around patting myself on the back as I finished a crossword puzzle last week. This is <laughs> incredible. So can you talk a little bit about the clinical trials that have been done or, and currently are being done and what the results are so far? Um, we were at the first stages, which are either phase one or phase one, two trials. Um, so we're primarily looking at safety and signs of efficacy. One of our funded companies is a small company in San Diego called Biocyte. And they're taking a capsule with stem cell-derived beta cell progenitors. So they're not yet functional beta cells. And they're putting those capsules under the skin of people with type 1 diabetes. And um, again, it's very early stages. Um, They've done 12 patients so far. And they just recently announced that what they're starting to see in the capsule is the maturation of those cells into toward functional beta cells. So they're starting to see insulin 
particles um, in these cells in people for the first time. And so those that's cells, really exciting. That is exciting. And then those cells, are they excreting insulin? That'll be the next step of this trial. Um, right now, they're looking at um, about 12 weeks post-transplant, and they're seeing signs of insulin production. Wow. In the next steps, they'll be looking for signs of insulin production in the serum of these people. And so this is Viacite's the name of the company, right? Yeah. And what is their stock symbol again? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're a private company. Ah. <laughs> well, and this research is quite groundbreaking. So how do you pick, you have 12 individuals who this is being tested on. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go through that and let's say you're successful, how long before something like this would make it to regular folks with type 1 diabetes? That's obviously a crystal ball kind of question. Yeah. Right? Um, there's a lot of steps between starting to do a clinical trial like this and testing it in enough people so that one can assure safety and efficacy and get regulatory approval from a group like the FDA if you're in the United States. If they're lucky, within the next six or seven or ten years, we may see this product available for people with type 1 diabetes. But as it goes forward, They may have to work, for example, a little bit more on the capsule or a little bit more on the cells, depending on the results in the early people who get this capsule. And the criteria for people that get in the trials, what I I would assume you want a fairly healthy type 1, somebody with type 1. Right now it is a fairly healthy type 1 population. Somebody with established type 1 diabetes, you start in adults, and right now that's the target population. And I would imagine that people who are already having complications from type 1 diabetes aren't going to be in these trials. Not in these first few trials. Right. When are the next trials coming up? I guess it depends on if these trial 1 and 1A are successful, yeah? That's right. And um, the next step in this trial will be to increase the number of cells that they put in the capsule, right? So the FDA asked them to start with a very low number to show safety of the procedure and safety of the, you know, exposure to a potentially low number of the cells, and then their aim will be to increase the number of cells so that they can start to see function of the cells that are in the cap. Incredible. This is this research is just incredible. Now, for people with type 1 diabetes now, are we just the same protocols that we're doing as injecting insulin or an insulin pump or something like that? Is there anything else for these folks? I mean, current therapies you know, are getting better and better, and the pumps and the um, and the continuous glucose monitor technology is getting better. We've seen some changes in the um, types of insulin that are available, mm-hmm. and we're also seeing some use of what we call adjunct therapies, similar to what type 2 diabetics get treated with. There is some adjunct therapies that make it easier to maintain level of glucose uh, control. Fascinating. This is, and this research came about, I'm just curious, a while ago about the gene splicing. So did that technology help this? Not yet, actually. um, We're, in fact, JDRF just put out a request for proposals for scientists to combine these two approaches. So the reason that you have this encapsulation requirement is because of the immune recognition of these cells, both because people with type 1 have an autoimmune response but they're also foreign tissue, just like a kidney transplant between two people. Right. 
And so if we can use the genetic editing technology, we think that we can decrease the, what we consider the immune barrier and make it simpler to find the right um, encapsulation technology. So we think that it, over time they'll complement one another. I see. So we, we know a lot about what genes the immune system are, are recognizing when they reject foreign tissue. And so one of the things that scientists have been proposing is to basically cut out those antigens that we know trigger an immune response. The other thing that people are thinking about is to put genes in that will make the cells less easy to recognize. So we think it'll be a combination of taking things out and putting things in. So you couldn't, like, split a gene of mine and mix it with, say, like a Stegosaurus or a Tyrannosaurus Rex? <laughs> I'm not sure we want or, to go or, there. Or just yet. like an Arnold Schwarzenegger Because, yeah, I'll sign up for that trial anyway. <laughs> we, do, we do want to make a super beta cell, but I'm not sure it'll evolve <laughs> DNA from a dinosaur. So anything else you'd like to add? No, we're just really excited for the support that JDRF gets from the public yeah. and the ability to really drive research forward to be practical and, and result in better therapies for people with type 1 diabetes. Well, incredible work that you're doing. I am just fascinated by all of this, and it just seems like it's growing in leaps and bounds every day with the new research and new ideas. It's just incredible work. Thank you so much for your work on this, because so, it's going to affect so many millions of Americans. Thank you. Thanks to JDRF as well. We've been talking with Dr. Julia Greenstein, Vice President of Discovery Research for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. For more information on JDRF and encapsulation, visit nursetalksite.com or the jdrf.org.